You are Locked On Cardinals, your daily Arizona Cardinals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Arizona Cardinals find themselves smack dab in the middle of the NFC playoff picture through week eight. It's fun to talk about. We're going to continue the conversation. And Bo and I are going to look at the NFC landscape as a whole and see where the Cardinals may end up and who you might want to play, you might want to avoid. All that and more on this edition of Lockdown Cardinals. This football season will be different, and Pepsi's here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi's the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. And go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. As it stands right now, the Arizona Cardinals are in the sixth seed of the NFC playoff picture. Will they go up? Will they move down? Let's talk about it. That's your Lockdown Cardinals lead story. I'm your host, Alex Clancy, with Bo Brock. Now, Bo... The NFC West is deep. The NFC West is daunting, or the NFC is daunting. And with San Francisco most likely out of the playoff picture right now due to injuries, that still leaves a three-team NFC West race that could take over the seven-team playoff in the NFC. We're looking at them as the sixth seed right now that would have to go up against the Green Bay Packers and Lambeau if everything were to stay the same. What are your thoughts on the NFC playoff picture as a whole through week eight. The Arizona Cardinals have, they can go up. They can get better. They can get better than the sixth seed. And when you talk about San Francisco, let's just bury them already. They're done. I mean, they traded Quan Alexander. They IR Jimmy Garoppolo. They IR George Kittle. Their only receiver that can really get anything done in the past game. So I think the Niners... They're done. As far as that week 16 game, we'll see if it matters for the Arizona Cardinals. I'm not saying that they're going to win all these games that they should win, but they absolutely should split with the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams, they're a different team when they're on the road, despite having a limited to no crowd that they're playing in front of. And then you look at the the NFC East for the Arizona Cardinals have games against the Eagles and the Cowboys left in this game coming up against the uh, Miami Dolphins. Those are all games that they should win. Uh, I mean, that's that's at least five more victories, in my opinion. And you look at the Arizona Cardinals at five and two, that, that puts them at a 10-win team if they just take care of business against the teams that they should beat. Right. And I mean, it seems it, it's kind of counterintuitive, but the five seed seems to be the sweet spot because that means you're more than likely going to match up against the NFC East winner. Because, I mean, unless the Cardinals win, the, if the Cardinals win the division, they may be the one seed. You know, because that's what it's going to take, it seems like, to win the NFC, the NFC West. If the Cardinals can have the best wild card record, that would be the, the enviable position to be in. Because, sure, any given Sunday, any playoffs, you have to go on the road. But having to play any team in the NFC East in the first round of the playoffs, especially with a young team that hasn't had much playoff experience... I mean, save DeAndre Hopkins, I guess, uh, would be a pretty sweet spot to be in. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, they're in a great spot already. I mean, to go through the first seven weeks of the season and they go five and two and they kind of take care of business. But, you know, when you talk about NFC West, and I can't believe we are discussing that after where they were last season with just five wins, it's, it is pretty incredible the jump that they've made. But the NFC West is going to be tough because Seattle, as far as their schedule goes, they still have games on uh, against Philly as well, the Giants, the Jets, the Washington football team, and another game against the San Francisco 49ers. So the Seahawks path, is it, it's similar to the Arizona Cardinals. And then if you look at the NFC, you know, obviously the NFC East is not going to be in the discussion for, you know, the uh, top seed in the, in the conference. As far as Tampa Bay and Green Bay, those are good. And I, I'm mainly looking at Green Bay, despite their bad loss to a, to the Vikings last week. Uh, they are going to be the team outside of the Seahawks that the Cardinals are going to have to go up against and have to uh, stack wins to be in the conversation because the Packers, I think that they should beat the Bears and take care of business. I mean, outside of Green Bay, you look at that NFC North and it's just not that talented. And Green Bay should have a fairly easy road to a potential one seed in the in the NFC outside of Seattle. I mean, when you look at the NFC North, though, that's the, I mean, that's the epitome of division games means so much. They can go so many different ways, and what we've seen with the NFC West over the last couple of years is every team is good. So yeah, it's. I mean, I guess the Cardinals not so much. The other three teams have been good for a while, and you see, well. You know, they're both so good, some team has to win, but they're equal with talent level, it seemed, over the last couple of seasons, the three teams omitting the Cardinals. Cardinals have thrown themselves into the mix this year. With the NFC North, there are usually two good teams and two not-so-good teams, but when they play each other, like you mentioned, the upset of Minnesota, the upset Minnesota had over, over uh, the Packers last week, that could happen at any point. If I told you that Detroit beat all three teams once this year, would you be shocked? I mean, it's it, the NFC North. It just seems to be a little bit more incestuous than other division rivals, and uh, that's always kind of a wild card moving forward. And Green Bay, listen, they went thirteen and three last year. I didn't think they were as good as their record indicated. They got blown out in the NFC Championship game. We see that if there's any sort of any sort of crack in the foundation of the game plan for Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers isn't the best at adapting to issues. He's great at throwing the football. He's great at finding Devontae Adams. Now that they're going to have no running backs uh, that they trust for their game against San Francisco, like, who knows? It's the NFL. I think the Green Bay Packers are a little bit higher than they may end up at this point. It's it's going to come down in New Orleans and Tampa Bay. And the Cardinals, if you look at the top seven teams, I would rank the Cardinals at this point smack dab in the middle. You know, you might give – might might – have them be fourth, but I think that they're in a really good spot through eight weeks, and obviously way better spot than we than, than we uh, thought would happen before the season started. Let me ask you a tough question: Are you rooting for the Packers tonight to or or the Niners tonight in this game? The Niners, right? For sure. No, no. At yeah. this at this point, anybody. Like, so once they got to four losses, the 49ers, and now everybody's hurt. You know, they cut Dante Pettis. Everybody's hurt. Uh, once the 49ers, the 49ers are no longer a threat to win anything this year. And that's not being biased. That's not my loath- my loathsome nature against their fan base. They're just not a good football team when they don't have any NFL players on it. Like, 
they're, they're just, comparatively speaking to what their roster looked like in week one, they're a college football team. Right? I mean, there's there's really not a whole lot to say about the about them actually making the playoffs, let alone go eight and eight this season. Right. I, I, as far as their threat level, it's it's very it's minimum. It's if not just uh, flatlining at this point. Yeah, it's not threat uh, level midnight like it used to be. No, it's certainly not. Nobody's going to have to call Michael Scarn to save the day. <laughs> Uh, Alex Clancy, Bo Brock, Locked On Cardinals. Follow him at Bob Brack. Follow me at Clancy's Corner. Follow the podcast at Locked On AZ Cards. Coming up next, Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins is join is going to join us. We're going to do our Thursday crossover edition on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Kyle Krabs from Locked On Dolphins joins us next. But first, I get to talk about. Build Go makes you the best you at whatever you do. Build Go breaks through your wall. So whether it's a mental or physical wall, break through it with Go every day. It's easy to take in one in one and a half ounce packages. Put it in your briefcase for the most focused presentation ever. Your golf bag to power through the back nine or put it in your pocket to get through the day. Build Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's five hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus it's natural, so it's better for your body. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine and better results. There's three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut and chocolate mint now how does bilko work so well well it combines energy gel with collagen protein bilko is loaded with good stuff to ignite ignite your work beta alanine b3 honey and a kick of caffeine Bilko then kicks to keep me going strong. B6 and B12 vitamins. Collagen promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. So this stuff literally makes you look better. Visit Bilko.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BiltGo.com. Let's go. It's Thursday, so that means crossover time. Alex Clancy, Bo Brock, Locked on Cardinals. Kyle Krabs, Locked on Dolphins. It is a crossover edition on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Kyle, I want to get into it right away. Draft Day 2020. The Miami Dolphins are on the clock. They draft to a tug of Viola. Your initial thoughts. I mean, being part of the draft network that you are, you've watched tape, hundreds of hours, I'm sure, of tape on tour for the year and a half uh, that he played in college. What were your thoughts on him after he was drafted? Excited, uh, predominantly because of the marriage of what changes the Dolphins had made to their offensive coaching staff. And theoretically, you you watch them, maybe not at the time of the pick, but the way they attacked rebuilding the offensive line. And it's very clear this team had put in place people who had a clear vision and identity of what they wanted the football team to be. And and you look at the next-gen stats through the first eight weeks of the season and no offense on a down-to-down uh, average spaces and uses more of the field pre-snap horizontally than the Miami Dolphins do. So it's it's literally the definition of a spread offense. They are the widest average formation over 30 yards of width from the most outside player on either side of the line of scrimmage. And you think about what Tua was really good at and replicating some of the concepts from Alabama, And we haven't had a chance to see a lot of that yet because obviously he had his first career start against the Rams. And a lot of what the Dolphins did against the Rams once they got out into an early lead was kind of just, yeah, okay, yeah, don't do anything dumb and give him the ball back and give him a chance to climb back into the game. So, But the, the vision that the Dolphins have clearly had and attacked and how they've built their roster is what made it so exciting to see it all blend together 
with an RPO spread system quarterback like Tua, who has been so proficient at the pro level or at the, the college level. Kyle, have you figured out or is what, what's the reason for starting him now? I think it's a blend of a number of different things. Of course, the Dolphins fans on Dolphins Twitter did not like the report from Adam Schefter on Sunday morning before his first career start, indicating that, yeah, the Dolphins, they, they're kind of looking at this Texan pick and kind of realizing, hey, this might be a top, top five pick. So we kind of need to know, like, completely eliminate the possibility that we may want to consider drafting a quarterback again. That was the report from Adam Schefter. And I think it's like anything else in life where there's 20 different variables that were at play here. And I think for the Dolphins, the ceiling with Tua, even you extend them beyond just the just look at the 10-game sample size of the rest of this year, the ceiling is higher than with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Because Ryan Fitzpatrick, as fun as he was playing, he's still missing some reads, and he still makes those kind of wild plays that you could almost classify as rookie mistakes, but the dude's been in the league 16 years. So I, I think the ceiling was higher with Tua. I think the Dolphins did want to evaluate not just Tua, the quarterback, for 2021 and beyond, but also evaluate what is our ceiling, how, you know, if we're going to transition this offense into what we want it to look like, we also need to evaluate what pieces we're missing to play around him as well. So I think it was a mix of short-term potential ceiling boost and long-term evaluating Tua and the rest of the offense. Kyle Krabs locked on Dolphins, Alex Clancy, Bo Brock locked on Cardinals. It's a crossover Thursday in the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm looking right now at the list of free agent acquisitions that the Dolphins made ahead of the 2020 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how they're not bankrupt with how much money they spent. Shaq Lawson, Kyle Van Noy, Byron Jones, Emmanuel Ogba, Eric Flowers, etc. Those four guys alone, maybe sh- should we be as surprised as we are by the output by the Miami Dolphins defense? I mean, take away the Rams game, okay? Because sometimes crazy things just happen just all in a row. And yes, they're playing immensely better than than they have been over the last couple seasons. And they're the number one ranked scoring defense in the NFL this year so far, I believe. That was just a perfect storm of incredible defensive play with touchdowns included in punt return with special teams. That was a magical game. Aside from that game, are you excited? Are you status quo with how they're playing on the defensive side of the ball with all the acquisitions they made in the offseason? Yeah, and what's really scary if you look at the Dolphins' defense and, and want to get excited about it, maybe not in this week as Cardinals guys, but you know, looking at the prognosis of the Dolphins' defense is uh, they were missing Byron Jones for effectively three full games. And when the Dolphins have had the cornerback pairing of Byron Jones and Xavier Howard on the field, uh, they have been clamps. Uh, and, and they were clamps against the Rams until it was 20 minutes left in the football game. And they said, we're going to give you the eight-yard completions underneath. And the Rams go 13 plays for 60 yards and kick a field goal. Like that, that was kind of the end of the game there for the Rams. This team identity thrives on the defensive side of the football. And the secondary specifically, Bobby McCain at free safety has been a revelation. Uh, Eric Rowe had got his hands on five footballs against the Rams, and he dropped what would have been a pick six after already logging an interception in the game. They've got a lot of really exciting pieces on the back end of the defense, and that allows them to get really exotic in the box. So it's the vision for this team has really meshed really well, and having Byron Jones and Xavier Howard is kind of the staple there uh, that, that gives this team its identity on defense. 
I'm pretty surprised how smitten Alex is with the Dolphins. I didn't know he had that big a crush on what they're doing down there in Miami. It's just, it's it's exciting when it's not the Patriots in the AFC East. When you have any, when you have a division that's up for grabs, which the majority of them are, I guess the AFC South is, is I guess there's it's a two-team race there, and there's competitive... Uh, there are competitive di- divisions across the NFL where, for the last 18 years, Bo Brock, it wasn't in the AFC East. So, seeing what Ryan Fitzpatrick has done and seeing what Tua Tagovailoa may or may not be able to do, especially with how Justin Herbert has come shooting out of the box like he did, like he's done in LA, even though it hasn't amounted to, to much winning over there, there's seemingly pressure on Tua Im- immediately to perform because if he doesn't, is there a way that there could be a, a, a quicker hook than what was expected drafting him so high in the draft last year? Um, I'll say this as far as the pressure and Tua, because that, that's a really popular point of view in, in South Florida media and, and talk radio down there as well. This is, this is a guy who kind of came in and as a freshman in the national championship game, brought Alabama back from a two-score deficit at halftime. So I'm not necessarily worried about two with pressure. Now, how do the Dolphins choose to handle it? Ryan Fitzpatrick himself referred to this as a forever decision. Fitz is going to be 38 at the end of the year. I don't foresee, especially because the defense is so good, they're, they may just kind of change their style of play. They were very freewheeling with Fitzpatrick. They may be more conservative. Uh, they need to figure out how to get more production out of the running game, and I think Tua's mobility – uh, not necessarily running the ball with the ball in his hands, but almost like what you saw the Baltimore Ravens do when they introduced Lamar Jackson into the starting lineup a couple years ago, and he started like the last six games, and they completely revised their team approach. I think that's more likely than seeing the Dolphins kind of get flaky or waffly about which quarterback's going to be there uh, taking the snaps for the Dolphins. Before we flip the script here and have you ask questions about the Arizona Cardinals, Kyle Krabs, the draft dudes, of course, Locked On Dolphins joins us here on a Locked On Thursday, Locked On Cardinals, Bo Brock, Alex Clancy. What are the expectations from starting week one to starting week two for Tua? Be a lot better than what they were week one. (laughs) (laughs) He was 12 of 22 for 93 yards and a touchdown. Had the strip sack courtesy of Aaron Donald. Welcome to the NFL. Rook, right? Like everybody got their jokes off. Um, I just think ball security and timeliness of the ball getting out of his hands are going to be the two points of emphasis for the Dolphins because the Dolphins, generally speaking, have been an offense that works within a 10, 15-yard box a lot of the times. Two ahead a really nice throw down the left sideline to Mike Gusecki that Mike's caught more difficult contested catches than the one that, that fell incomplete against the Rams that would have changed his stat line dramatically. And he had a couple drops from Preston Williams, the wide receiver second year out of Colorado state, miles Gaskin dropped a third round conversion or, or third down conversion. So there were some plays that his playmakers didn't make for him that if they make those, you know, I'm not so much worried about the, box score as I am just continuing to not shoot yourself in the foot because I think the Dolphins with their team identity being on defense skewed that hard the way that it is uh, they're going to be more than than willing and welcome to kind of play some of these chess mass strategy field position uh, kinds of games instead of trying to run up and down the field so if Arizona can have the offensive success that they've had against some of the other teams in the league 
thus far on their schedule. That will not play to, I think, what the Dolphins would want to see from Tua, uh, which kind of flies in the face against what we've seen from Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow from some of their early starts this season as well. Kyle Krabs, Locked on Dolphins. Alex Clancy, Bobrock, Locked on Cardinals. We had our shot. Now it's Kyle's turn. Kyle's going to rapid fire us with any questions he has about the Arizona Cardinals. That's next on a crossover Thursday Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Locked on Dolphins, Locked on Cardinals crossover series continuing here on this Thursday on the Locked on Network. And we're going to grill my buddies Bo and Alex about the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, specifically, you guys have made a number of references today about my ties to the draft network. And one of my favorite prospects to study throughout the course of the 2020 pre-draft process was linebacker Isaiah Simmons, who lands on the Arizona Cardinals. And this is a player who has struggled to get his feet wet. He obviously made a very big play uh, there at the end of the game against the Seattle Seahawks to help them pull out that upset win. Uh, I just wanted to check in because there were a lot of Dolphins fans that were really dialed in on this guy being a potential chess piece defender for the Dolphins as well. Wanted to check in on what you guys' impressions are on why Isaiah Simmons has struggled to this point to make the kind of impression that you would expect when you're drafting a guy in the top 10. I mean, first off, I am under the distinct impression that Steve Kime didn't want to draft Isaiah Simmons. It's a situation where, oh, Isaiah Simmons will probably go to New York and they take Andrew Thomas. Oh, he's not going to get past the Chargers at sixth. I mean, there's no way because they could pair him up with Derwin James and have the defense of the future. And then you know that that uh, the Carolina was going to take Derrick Brown either way. And then he drops to eight and it's, oh, no, what do they do? And Isaiah Simmons was drafted to play inside linebacker. He's never played inside linebacker and he is kind of a jack of all trades was the cliche that I hated hearing everybody say but that's what everybody said he's he hasn't obviously found his sea legs he hasn't found his sea legs yet and also pound for pound it he may have also made the biggest play of the Cardinals season so far in a vacuum after only playing four snaps before the fifth snap where he intercepted Russell Wilson in overtime so it's been a disappointment, obviously. There are naysayers immediately saying, what a horrible choice. They should have taken an offensive lineman, which is kind of um, murkied by the fact that the Cardinals have one of the top-rated offensive lines in the NFL so far. So it's still a, a feeling-out period. He has the athleticism, obviously, but he doesn't have a home yet. And we'll see if they're going to use him as a situational pass rusher with Chandler Jones out for the year where it's kind of a makeshift pass rush made up of secondary players and linebackers. Uh, but right now, his grade is an incomplete because for some reason they don't want to put him on the field. Maybe it's they just don't trust him. But sometimes you just have to have trial by fire and see what happens. We just haven't seen it yet. Continuing on the uh, defensive side of the ball. Uh, the Dolphins, we talked about the uh, their identity in the secondary, but this Cardinal secondary has some studs uh, of their own between Buda Baker and Patrick Peterson. Really, really good football players that can kind of turn your game plan upside down. For a Dolphins team that has generally played not very far down the field, they are not very persistent in pushing the ball vertically. How much of an opportunity do you expect Buda Baker to have to derail this Dolphins offense and, and create chaos? Or do you expect him more 
around the line of scrimmage versus prowling inside that 10 yard area, knowing that the dolphins are kind of a quick passing game, uh, very short to intermediate passing game. Well, you get a player that can do both for you, Kyle. And that's what Buda Baker has kind of shown this season that he hadn't shown previous to 2020. He was kind of a run stopper before he had back-to-back weeks with interceptions that propelled him to the NFC Defensive Player of the Month in October despite missing the game against Carolina. He's a tackling machine. That was his M.O. That's what got him the most lucrative deal that any NFL safeties ever signed before, right before the 2020 season. So Buda Baker can absolutely play up. He can play back. He can he can be just a, a game plan wrecker in which it doesn't matter which way the opposing offense is playing. So Buda Baker, that kind of fits his style as well. He can kind of play that run stopper, quick pass stopper. And when he's not in the lineup, as the Carolina game proved, the Arizona Cardinals defense goes from, you know, above average to pedestrian and below average. So Buda Baker is obviously the, uh, the, this, the, I guess the spoon that stirs this one, the Arizona Cardinals need him to uh, continue to play at a high level. And then you talk about the rest of that secondary, you know, his, this, his safety mate there, Jalen Thompson's returning from injury. We'll see if he can be a contributor like many expected him to be uh, going into the season. And then uh, you look to Patrick Peterson to kind of pick up the slack with Byron Murphy potentially being out in the defensive secondary with COVID this week. Offensively, the addition of DeAndre Hopkins, obviously huge. Uh, But in watching some Cardinals as of late, another name that I'm seeing pop up is is Christian Kirk and and making plays. What's the, the temperature there about Kirk and his viability as being a legitimate secondary option as Larry Fitzgerald continues to play? But slow down a little bit. Uh, what do you guys get the sense that the team feels the ceiling is there with, with Christian Kirk and how the Dolphins, you know, obviously having two standout cornerbacks, how much attention they may need to pay to him if they're going to try and lock down DeAndre Hopkins one-on-one with Byron Jones? There's no denying the rapport and camaraderie between Kyler Murray and Christian Kirk when Christian Kirk's healthy. You know, especially around the... I, I always refer to it as like the the Tom Brady zone. It's first and goal from like the six where the Patriots never used to run the ball. It was always spread it out and they would score touchdowns more times than not. That's Christian Kirk's wheelhouse along. You know, I mean, he can he can streak down the sideline with the best of them in the NFL. He's got good hands. And if he can stay healthy, they can maybe build some momentum into him being the number two. But ever since his rookie year, he's been hobbled. He's been questionable. He's been doubtful. He's missed games. And now that Kyler has even a better grasp of this offense, and so does Christian Kirk, and with DeAndre Hopkins being on the field, it allows for more one-on-one coverage. It allows for softer zone coverage against him. And we've seen him start to take moves to being a bona fide number two. Now, he'd have to, he'll have to sustain it, but... There is no denying that Christian Kirk is a speedster who has hands, who can actually catch the football, and it sounds like a funny thing, but for a long time with J.J. Nelson and Jerron Brown, these guys on the outside with the Cardinals had perfect balls thrown in the breadbasket, and they just couldn't put both their hands together and catch the ball. There were so many draw passes that would have led to touchdowns. So the fact that Christian Kirk is sure-handed, we saw it on the on the deep bomb uh, on Monday Night Football against Dallas, where Kyler overthrew him a little bit, fingertip catch, ran it into the end zone. 
the sky is the limit for what Christian Kirk can be as a number two. We just have to continue to see consistency with his route running and, and Kyler Murray throwing the ball downfield to him in an accurate manner. Now, my last question is about a player that Dolphins fans know very well, Kenyon Drake. Um, obviously, do- there were some Dolphins fans amid the teardown last year that were upset to see Kenyon Drake go as he was one of the heroes involved in the Miami Miracle win over the New England Patriots. And a lot of Dolphins fans never really felt he got a legit shake as a featured running back in Miami. I wanted to check in. Obviously, he had the big game against Dallas, uh, a couple monster plays in that game, a lot of rushing production. But Arizona brought him back on a very sizable one-year tender. I believe it was in excess of $8 million Kenyon Drake's getting paid this year. So wanted to check in with you guys on Kenyon, what the experience has been with him uh, throughout the course of this season specifically. Obviously, he finished super strong at the end of last year and earned this tender, uh, the transition tender that the Cardinals have him playing on this year. Uh, but is there a sense that this is a long-term player for the Cardinals, or is this a player that – uh, kind of is struggling to rise to the occasion with consistency to what Arizona may have helped. And it might have to do with the game planning as well as as far as the emphasizing the run early on. Cliff Kingsbury, obviously, the there's a misconception about the air raid offense. He he does like to run the football, absolutely. And the Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray and Kenyon Drake have been successful over the last season and a half doing that since Drake came over for that late round draft pick mid season last year. But uh, you know, he's been, it's, it's been a big topic on this, on our podcast between Al- Alex doesn't believe that Kenyon Drake can be the bell cow that you need necessary to put away games, to be the guy that can consistently, you know, get, you know, four to five yards per carry late in contest to put away opponents where I disagree. I think Kenyon Drake showed that last year and he, he actually helped set a franchise mark in yards per carry you know, this is a guy that's going to be sidelined, and we're going to see how the Arizona Cardinals offense looks without Kenyon Drake after he suffered that high ankle sprain against the Seattle Seahawks in the overtime thriller. You know, what's it going to look like with Chase Edmonds? Can he carry the load? Are they going to have to bring in somebody to kind of supplement the run game? We'll see if, We'll see about that. But I think Kenyon Drake is a guy for right now. I, I don't think it's a guy that you lock up on a multi-year deal, you know, long-term. It's just he's right in that wheelhouse, you know, 25, 26 years old where – you don't necessarily want to throw a bunch of guaranteed dollars in, in a couple seasons at the running back because their shelf life is so short. But I think for right now, on the $8 million-plus tra- transition tag tender, that he can be the guy that fits Kingsbury's offense enough to where they can really be a problem for other contending teams and, and to make a postseason run. So to answer your question, I think he he can he is the guy. He's got to get healthy, obviously, and we'll see what – Chase Edmonds, who some people have been clamoring for to get more snaps anyway. And he can be a big-time player for this team, not only running the ball, but also catching the ball out of the backfield. The collective sigh of relief from Dolphins fans to know a Kenyon Drake revenge game is off the table <laughs> for this weekend when the Dolphins visit the Arizona Cardinals. This is has been, I should say, a locked-on crossover between locked-on Cardinals and locked-on Dolphins. This clash in Week 9 should be filled with a strength on strength between the Dolphins' defense and the Cardinals' offense. Very compelling matchup. We hope you all enjoy it. And uh, regardless of your rooting interests, we hope you guys enjoy the game. Thanks for listening. That's a wrap for us. We will talk to you tomorrow, Locked on Cardinals.